Pastor Xavier Reese on why the Christian never has to worry about being lost. Listen, people, the will of the Lord is obtainable, understandable, foundable, if there's such a word. Where is it found? In the Word of God. You're not going to find the will of God in the newspaper. You're not going to find the will of God in the encyclopedia. You're not going to find the will of God in the university. You're going to find it in the Word of God. So if you want to know the will of God, you must get into the Word of God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Suicide is an act of desperation for those who feel that they have lost their way. Well, today, Pastor Xavier shares why those who have surrendered their life to Christ never have to worry about being lost. Let's join him for today's encouraging study from the book of Ephesians titled, The Benevolence of God. Let's listen. You have a Bible, you turn to Ephesians chapter 1, please. Paul has spoken well of God the Father and praised Him for all that He has done in Christ Jesus from verse 3 down to 10. Due to the fact that He blesses us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus in verse 3. He chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world in verse 4. He redeemed us and adopted us as sons in Jesus Christ in verse 5. He redeemed us through His blood in verse 7. And He illuminated us regarding the gospel, the message of salvation in verse 8 and 9. And He revealed the age of grace that will one day gather all things, both in heaven and earth, unto Himself in verse 7 through 10. Now, Paul is not done praising God. He has three more things he wants to praise God the Father for as he has done in verses 11 through 14. Let me read that text for us. He says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, Paul has three more things to praise God for. First of all, in verse 11, Paul praises God the Father for the inheritance of the believer in the presence. In the present. Secondly, verse 12, down to the middle of 13, Paul praises God the Father for the inheritance of the believer without exclusion. And then thirdly, verse 13, the rest of it, to 14, Paul praises God the Father for the assurance of our inheritance in the future. Now remember, the Father, the Son have been identified in salvation. Verse 6 and 12, now we're going to get the Holy Spirit. All three persons of the Godhead are involved in salvation. Let's begin here with the first thing that Paul praises God the Father for. Paul praises God the Father for the inheritance of the believer in the present. Verse 11. Notice first, the inheritance of the believer is in him. You can't get away from those prepositions and those phrases here in the epistle. The reference, as we have seen, points to Jesus Christ. He is the one who died in our place, verse 7 told us. He's the one that chose us in a predestinated way to make us sons and daughters in verse 4 and 5. He is incredibly rich in his grace to bequeath to his children the wealth necessary in verse 7, the latter portion. You see, the person of Jesus is mentioned 11 times within the terms and, and the phrases of in him, by him, in whom, in Christ. 
14 times from verse 3 down to 14. One continuous sentence. Notice, secondly, the inheritance of the believer was ordained when he or she was predestined. We run into this word again. The phrase, have obtained an inheritance, is one word in the Greek. It means to cast lots, to determine by lots. This is the only time this form appears, yet the same word in different form appears. And in Matthew 27, 35, it is used to describe the parting of the garments of Jesus as he's being crucified. Now, the word predestined complements this idea of lot. It was the same word as in verse 5 there. And it means, as we have seen, to limit in advance, to mark out boundaries or limits beforehand. The context is important. Mark it well. For Paul has just told us about the dispensation or the administration of grace to gather all things, be they on earth or in heaven, right? In verse 10. So don't lose the context. He's been talking about this administration, this dispensation. That's the context that he's talking about now. The meaning of obtaining an inheritance in our text is not so much that we have obtained an inheritance as much as that we are assigned a lot by God. On a broader spectrum, you have been given certain gifts that I don't have. You have been called certain things that I'm not called to. You have a course to run different from mine. So that's part of your lot in a broader sense. So here he's talking about that portion that has been appointed to each of us. In other words, God has, along with the choosing of us for salvation before the foundation of the world and predestined us to be adoption of sons and daughters, he also assigned us a lot in his dispensation or administration. And it's all tied together. This is our inheritance for now on earth, which he is declaring in that one continuous phrase and sentence from verse 3 to 14. Notice thirdly, still in verse 11, that the inheritance of the believer was marked out by who? By God. By God. According to the purpose of him refers to God's sovereignty. Now you know what sovereignty is. Sovereignty is best defined as the ability and right to do as one wills, when one wills, as one wills, to whom one will, wherever one's will, whenever one's will, as often as one wills. Now that's a broad liberty. Now when that liberty is given to a person, we've got troubles because they're imperfect and they're selfish and they're self-centered. When we're dealing with it in an aspect of God, we've got no problems. We can totally surrender ourselves knowing that decisions he'll make are for us for benefit and for good, not for evil. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 says this, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. What God has in store for me is good, not evil. Now the problem is that I get caught up in the present. God has the end in mind. And those of us who have lived long enough and you're a little older, you look back when you were a teenager or a young adult and, and you realize how much you were involved and wrapped up just in the present, the friends, the decision, the things. And now looking back, you realize you had brain damage. <laughs> now that gives us a little perspective, the lessons from the lesser to the greater. God has the end in mind you and I are concerned about right now. And so we act like cantankerous little kids. It's not God. And all of us who are parents are taught every day about that as we raise our children. And as we get disgusted with them and can't understand them, how they don't see our love, so the same us to God. 
The word purpose qualifies the lot assigned. The word purpose means a setting forth of a thing, placing it in view. God sees it. You know, it's like driving down the freeway, and if you're just driving tunnel vision, you're looking at the bumper in front, you're going to crash. You've got no way of escape or anything. You're so caught up in that bumper. But if you look past that windshield, you look way in front, you can see the, the stoplights a mile ahead. You start breaking. You start making your plan to move. And that's a good picture of God. God sees way ahead. He sees it all. And I'm right here going, oh, I don't know why you're doing that. I, I can't believe him. <laughs> I'm looking for ants. He's got eternity in mind. The word is used one other time in the epistle, and it really defines the particular intent of our lot. Look at chapter 3, verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's the key. The eternal purpose. God has the eternal purpose in mind. You and I are looking for here and now too often. We forget. We get caught up. We get sidetracked. We get distracted. We get sucked in. We get snared. We get baited. According to him who works all things according to the counsel of his will refers to God's omniscience. He knows all things. He works all things according to the counsel of his will, which is lined up with his purposes regarding what? The administration of grace for salvation that we talked about in verse 10. He's doing all these things with the view in mind of the plan of salvation, the economy, the dispensation, the administration, whatever you want to call it. He has this in mind. His will has been mentioned four times up to this point. Chapter 1, verse 1, verse 5, verse 9, here verse 11. Paul is going to tell the believer later on in chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Listen, people, that implies that the will of the Lord is obtainable, understandable, foundable, if there's such a word. <laughs> Where is it found? In the Word of God. You're not going to find the will of God in the newspaper. You're not going to find the, word, the will of God in the encyclopedia. You're not going to find the will of God in the university. You're not going to find the will of God in the, news, in, in the TV's programs. You're going to find it in the Word of God. So if you want to know the will of God, you must get into the Word of God. It's the only way you're going to find it. Paul is going to tell the servants later on in chapter 6, verse 6, that their service to their masters are not to be with eye service as man-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So we commit ourselves to the will of God from the heart, knowing who He is and that He has the best in mind. His will, eternal purposes. God is omniscient. He knows all things. He can learn nothing new. He has all the facts. He knows the outcome before it happens. That's the one you want to commit your life to. That's the one you want to trust completely. That's the one you want to surrender to. And your surrender will declare your commitment. It's always surrender first and commitment. You won't commit until you surrender. Listen to Paul. You know Romans. Romans is a great epistle. He comes to the end of the whole thing of his thesis in chapter 11. And in 11, 33 to 36, he says, All the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has first given to him? And it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Paul says, can you believe how he did it? 
You know, you and I get so impressed. We see somebody who's talented or gifted in some area, and they do something, or artwork or something, and you go, can you believe that? I can't believe that. But have you ever looked at the plan of God and salvation, what he's done, and said, can you believe? How in the world did he do that? We get so impressed with man, and we say, oh, salvation. Okay. Paul is stoked about how God did it, man. You know why? Because he's holy, and he didn't violate his holiness, and yet he redeemed us. Whoa, that is a miracle. As sons and daughters of our own parents, each of us have partial privilege and benefits as allotted by our parents according to their purpose and will. Right now, you and I receive the benefit because we're looking forward. If our parents die, usually they leave it to the kids, right? But right now, while you're present before their death, you are receiving part of that allotment as they love you, as they give you money, as they give you privilege, whatever it is. You are receiving a poor taste, a small portion. And that's a token of their love. Once you leave the home, they don't invite you over to dinner, and then all of a sudden you sit down, and, and, and they serve themselves, and you look at them and say, what, you didn't bring your own food? Oh. No, they, they still bless you, right? You say, oh, can I bring anything? Oh, I don't bring anything. And you know, and you stuff your face, you know? You know, you just married, and mom says, oh, you look a little pale, honey. Is your wife feeding you? Here, Eat. If you are going to receive a lot or portion of someone's possessions, your name must be registered in the last will and testament, or you are entitled to nothing. And so in Christ, your name must be written in the book of life. And if your name's not there, you will receive absolutely nothing. Rather than inheritance, you receive judgment. John the Beloved in Revelation 17, 8 says, the beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend on the bottomless pit and goes into perdition and they that dwell on the earth shall wander whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. Well, what a scary statement for your names to not be written in the book of life. If your name is found in the last will and testament, it is so by virtue of the person who chose beforehand the marked out portion for you and is made valid by their death. They chose how much to give you, what to give you, when to give it to you. They may put stipulations. They get so much at 18, so much at 25, so much at 40. They stipulated you have nothing to do with it. And that will must be honored, and you cannot alter it. And sometimes clauses are put in there. If there's any attempt to alteration, that person is cut out of the will. Whoa. Listen to Hebrews 9.15. And for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant that those who are called may receive a promise of an eternal inheritance. If the person left, the person who left you, a marked out portion, he or she did it by virtue of their own purpose, their counsel and their free will. And that is what brings about your expression and my attitude of love for them because they did it all on their own free will they were not forced now there's some people who are always trying to butter up with people that know they're going to die and they're like buzzers bzzz, you know what i mean waiting but when someone chooses and maybe you don't know and you've been benevolent you've been kind or whatever it may be and you've done it because you love them and then you know and there's no evidence of them ever having any money and they die 
And all of a sudden, you receive a letter that you're called to the reading of their will, and you go, oh, well, oh, he's pretty nice. Probably left us a dog or something. You go over there, and they've left you $5 million. You go, what the heck? Are you sure of that? And it's probably best that we didn't know before, in fact. But see, they chose to do that of their own will, of their own counsel, their own sound mind. And when you receive that, you go, man, you have a greater appreciation for that person, don't you? We loved him because he first loved us, 1 John 4, 19 says. And when we see how much he's blessed us now in the present, boy, do we express our love to him? Absolutely, absolutely. Paul praised God, the Father, for the inheritance of the believer in the present. Do you? Do you understand how rich you are? What he's given to you by his own choice? Not because of who you are, what you've done, what you were going to do, but just because he says, this part for John, this part for Mary, this part for, 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 for Bill. <laughs> Amazing. Now notice, secondly, Paul praises God the Father for the inheritance of the believer without exclusion. This is good. Verse 12 on down to the middle, or a little further on verse 13. Notice first in verse 12. The priority of God regarding the lot or portion allotted was first to the Jew. Not mark that first. The reference to we speaks of the Jew. The context is important to mark as you read the letter. Sometimes we will mean Jew and Gentile. Sometimes we will refer to the Jew only. The we in verse 11 refers to both Jew and Gentile. The we in verse 12 refers to the Jew in contrast to the you of verse 13. So he says we, Jew and Gentile, we, Jew, and then he says you in the next verse, Gentile. So the context is very important to ask those questions. The Jews were the ones who first trusted in Christ. The phrase first trusted is made up of two words. Pro, meaning front or before or prior, and the second, which means to expect or confide or anticipate. The word means to hope before, to hope before. They trusted and hoped that what they were trusting would deliver. They committed themselves to that. The hope of the Christian is not I hope so. The hope of the Christian is I know so. Absolute certainty. Notice the choice of God according to the counsel of his will and purpose was that he allotted the Jews a portion by his choosing beforehand in order to prepare the Jew to receive their Messiah first prior to the call of what? The Gentile. Doesn't mean that the Gentiles were plan B as I've said. It's always plan A. Jew and Gentile plan A. But the phases was first Jew then Gentile. By God's choosing. Listen to Paul, Romans 1, 8, 16. He says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. For what? Everyone who believes, for the Jew first, then the Greek. The Jew first. The Jew first in terms of what? Priority. The priority of God's what? Administration, dispensation. Not in importance. The Jew was not more important. The Jew was there in priority. Then the Gentile. That's important. Sometimes the Jew tries to put an emphasis on the Jew first. No, it was in priority, not in importance. That's very important. Now, the Messiah was promised to the Jew, as you know. Genesis 12, 3 says, Through you, Abraham, I will bless all the families of the earth. Isaiah 7, 14, the virgin shall bear a son. Micah 5, 2, out of Bethlehem. It was to the Jew. The Messiah was not sent to the Gentile first, and he didn't come from the Gentile, but from the Jews. Now, notice the goal in mind was that the Jews should be to the praise of God's glory. That's important. That they would be in line with the plan and purpose of God as he administered that administration as it would occur in time. 
So God took all that time, that preparation in the Old Testament to teach them, to school them, in order when the test came to identify the Messiah, they would say, Messiah! Now, when you go to school, you and I went to school, and some of you still going, you take tests. You begin your quarter, you begin your semester, whatever it is, and you get the material, you progressively, boom, 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 boom. All that kind of stuff is there to prepare you to pass the test. The material is not given to you so you fail the test, but to pass the test. They're looking forward, expecting that you're going to pass, not that you're going to fail. God prepared his people to pass. His people failed. Also that they would see the marvelous wisdom and the ability of God in preparing them to identify their Messiah and praise him for sending him. That God would be so good, so faithful, but instead the rejection came. They had no excuse. For God did all that was necessary, and when they rejected Messiah as a nation, then the Messiah rejected them as a nation. In Matthew 23, 37, 39, Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, you who stones the prophets, how often I wanted to gather you as a hen, gather her chicks under her wings, but you would not. So now I leave you to you desolate, and you shall not see me henceforth till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Rejected. 70 AD, destroyed. Dispersed throughout the world for 2,000 years nearly. Return 1948 to declare their independence. Wow. God's word comes to pass. Notice secondly, the pattern of God regarding the lot or portion allotted to the Gentile was by the same mode. It was by the same mode. He says the manner of the Gentile was the same as the Jews, for Paul says, in him you also trusted. In him points to Christ. We, Jew, you, Gentile. But the word also trusted unifies you and Gentile. You also trust in the same Christ. Makes them one. Him refers to the same person, Jesus Christ. The one who has made redemption possible by his blood for what? The forgiveness of sins. Verse 7. The purpose of Paul in the letter is to what? To make very clear distinction. And very clear communication that there's no longer Jew or Gentile, but they're one in Christ Jesus. We've gone through it before. Chapter 2, verse 11 through 18 is a good section. Chapter 3, verse 6, 4, verse 4, to give you a few. No distinction. So you see the Gentiles were grafted in. Didn't he tell that to the Romans in Romans 11? Blindness in part has happened to Israel. You've been grafted in. Now don't boast of that because he's able to cut you off also. Don't think that God grafted you in because you're better and they're so bad. So we have to have humility, perspective, understanding. Now, the mode was the same, but look at, secondly, the method was also the same, as Paul declares, after you heard. The method is the same. The word heard is the word akua. It means to be endowed with the faculty of hearing as opposed to being deaf. The idea is to attend, to consider what is being said, understand it, perceive it, and be able to respond to it. Jesus uses the word over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. You have heard that has been said. In other words, to what had been taught according to tradition. You have heard it. You've understood it. But now I say unto you. Now if you've understood and respond to what you've heard, which is not true, now I'm going to tell you what's true, so respond to it. Hear it clearly. Same word. Have you ever heard the phrase acute hearing? That means you can pick up sounds a little faster than others. You have acute hearing. You have normal hearing. You have bad hearing, different degrees of it. This is the word. The scriptures tell us that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, right? Romans 10, 17. 
So if you want to be a man and woman of faith, you have to be in the Word of God. You can't just snack on God's Word once a Sunday, once a week. You have to be in the Word of God for your own protection, for your own benefit. It doesn't help me out. It helps you out. You need to be wise to see this. Pastor Xavier Reese and the importance of following God's playbook of life. Well, be sure and tune in next time, but if you won't be able to join us, you can pick up a copy of this message on CD for only $4. The title to ask for is The Benevolence of God. Be sure and share this study with others in your church or Bible study. And once again, the title to ask for is The Benevolence of God, or simply mention today's date. And you can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you include the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us with our stewardship of this outreach. Do miracles still occur today? Pastor Xavier Reese talks about one that does. That's on the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 